0: be reading from Matthew chapter 20 verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus, we praise you for for walking that walk to Jerusalem knowing what was coming and doing it for us. Jesus, nothing takes you by surprise, nothing in your life nothing in our life and we are just just God, we are held firmly in your hand. Thank you for holding on to us, even when we go astray, even when we don't want to listen to the truth of what you're saying is coming. Thank you for the gentle way that you remind us to listen and to walk with you. Jesus, we recognize that our salvation was a very costly one because it cost you your life. And we thank you for the grace of a life that is eternal, that we get to spend with you. Because of that, we thank you for the grace that that because you laid down your life, we get to follow you. How blessed are we? Father, I pray that you would wash over us with the word today. God, as Pastor Chris opens up your word and, and speaks your words to us, God, that that you would um, God, that you would just speak through him. God, that that the things that you want us to hear would fall on our hearts and that they would be tender and receive your word, God, that there wouldn't be other things going on in our mind. Um, Father, that that we would miss it. Father, we'd be so busy in our in our plans for the rest of today, God, that we would we would not be able to hear you. So, Father, I pray that you would make what's foggy clear. God, I pray that you would make what's broken new, God, in us today. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you receive our worship, God. And we thank, that, thank you that, that we get to be a part of a church body that gets to worship together, God. Father, just forgive us where we fall short. Make us more like you. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Just as Sandra read for us. He is on the way to be mocked and flogged and killed. For our salvation, right? He is, he is on the way. Next week we're going to be talking about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so on this trip, on this traveling from Capernaum all the way down to Jerusalem, Jesus has been trying to press into the disciples this one simple lesson, this idea that the first will be last, the last will be first, this idea of humility, of thinking of others better than themselves, getting them ready for this moment where Christ was going to humble himself and die the death that we should have died for the salvation of the world. He's, he's trying to prepare them. And so today we're kind of closing up this sort of teaching that Jesus is um, working on them with, and he's done it in many different ways. If you remember back to chapter 18, the disciples were arguing, who is the greatest among us? And Jesus is like, oh, little child, come over here. In order to be the greatest, you must become like this child. You must humble yourself in this same way. And we're going to see even at the end of chapter 20, right, we see James and John's mom coming up to Jesus saying, hey, can you let my son sit at your right hand or left hand? They're they're, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. But hopefully these things are going to echo in the back of their mind as Jesus resurrects from the grave on the third day. What a beautiful story. And so as we're going through this story, we're going to see what does it mean for the last to be first and the first to be last? What does it mean for us to truly think of others more than we think of ourselves? And so we jump into this beautiful parable about the laborers in the vineyard. And and I I love this parable. I think it gets so real and so practical to us today. And we're going to start in verse 1. But right before verse 1 is verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last will. First, for the kingdom of heaven is like... Now, we've been seeing this phraseology from Jesus throughout the book of Matthew, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a sower throws into the soil. It's like the grain of a mustard seed. It's like leaven hidden within the flower. It's like a a treasure hidden in a field for which they sell everything they own in order to buy that field. It's like um, a... Man, the master of the house who knows how to bring out the old and the new. It's like a merchant of fine pearls that when he finds the perfect pearl, sells everything to own it, right? It's like a forgiving master, even though the servant wasn't so forgiving of the other one, right? We've seen this picture over and over and over again where Jesus is teaching them about how we're supposed to be if we're supposed to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so we pick up here with another story, another parable to teach us some um, eternal truth about what it means to live as a follower of Christ. Here's what it is. So for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. For his vineyard. Spoiler alert, Jesus is the master of the house. Jesus is the master of the vineyard. All of it is his. We get to participate in what God is already doing around us, right? So the master of the house is going out. And he's looking for laborers to come into the harvest, right? This is a very common practice back in the day. If they, someone didn't have a steady job, they would go to the marketplace. And anybody that needed extra help on their farm at the harvest or extra help around their house, they would go and they would begin to hire people from the marketplace to come work in their property, right? So this is a very common occurrence. They would all be familiar with what was going on in this situation, Verse two says, and after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard, right? So he goes there, he finds some workers at the beginning of the day. That would have been 6 a.m. Jewish day starts at 6 a.m., right? So 6 a.m., he goes in the marketplace, he finds some workers, They they agree for a denarius a day. Now, here's a picture of a denarius, in case you were curious, what does it actually look like, right? It's a little piece of silver, a little coin, right? Just enough, that would be what the trading value would be, a day's wages for that. Now, there's several different types of money um, exchanged throughout the scripture, right? Denarius was a day's wage, but like a shekel. Do you remember when um, Peter and Jesus uh, had to go give the temple tax, and they went fishing, and in the mouth they found a shekel? And their shekel was four days' wages, or four denarii worth. Right, so they find a shekel. Do you remember when Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? 30 shekels was the cost of what Judas was willing to be- betray Jesus for. And then you think about the widow's mite, right, where she was giving all that she had. A widow's mite, which you can still buy these in Israel today. You can still get a widow's mite from this time period. Um, it was worth one sixty-fourth of a denarii. So very little very little that was that was she was giving, but to Jesus, she was giving all that she had. It wasn't about the amount, it was about the heart, right? And so we see these amounts of money, and what I think is so beautiful, Jesus is a master storyteller. All the loopholes that people are going to use in the story to try to get out of it and try to explain it away, Jesus says they've agreed that for a denarius a day, they were gonna go into the fields and work. In verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Notice they go without knowing the price. They just know. He said, go, we're going to go out. Going out again at the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand idle all day. So here's the, here's the owner. He's going out at 6 a.m. He hires people to go out. Comes back three hours later. That would have been 9 a.m. Still people there that need work. Comes out again three hours later. And later until the 11th hour and he comes out and he finds more people to come work in the vineyard. Why are they still there? Why are they being idle? Now, if we were to be honest, this word idle is a common word today, isn't it? It means avoiding work, lazy, without purpose, and we sort of are developing, if we're not careful, an idle culture, a culture that's okay with avoiding work, and a culture that's okay with sitting idle in their life. But the Bible warns us against this idea of being idle. Okay, let's, in fact, let's turn forward a little bit in 2 Thessalonians 3, and let's see Paul's warning. On not being idle. All right, here's what he says in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not according with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but the, with toil and labor we worked night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but because, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul's saying like when we came to you, we had the right as those that are ministering over you to get paid for, it, but we chose not to. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We wanted to give you an example that we, we wanted you to not be idle, but we wanted you to be working. For even when we were with you, we would not give you this command... Or we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If he's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. For we hear that that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, listen, do you realize we were created to work? You realize that, right? We were created by God to work, not to be busy bodies. You understand the difference, right? Those that are being busy and those that are being busybodies, the best example that I could think of is um, this room is a pretty amazing room. And on Sunday mornings, it's a worship center. On Tuesday nights, it is a kid's madhouse in here, right? Kids everywhere. On, on Wednesday nights, this is a basketball court, right? Basketball court over here, nine square over here, right? The traffic going into that door is crazy, right? All of a sudden, this is a mosh pit, Right here in the front, right? And how does it get that way? We have to set, We have to take up chairs, right? Anybody had to stack the chairs in here before? Anybody come to third service where we're like, oh, can you help us out? All right? Um, I am one of the best chair stackers here. I'm just gonna tell you right now. All right, I I got the skill. All right, I got the technique. I got the manpower. I got it, right? And so I am the stacking machine, right? And I've been here with a bunch of youth before stacking chairs. Y'all have had to stack chairs before, right? Youth up front. How fast do you think they stack chairs? How fast? You see the grin on their face over here, right? Yeah, you see it. They're so good at being looking busy. Look, they look so busy, Right? But yet, I'm like on my fourth stack over here, right? And they're like four tiers in, right? I'm not, I'm not hating on y'all. Y'all are awesome, these guys up here, right? right but I've been around some, some, of my, the, some of my favorite people in the world. Some of I could give you the, I won't give the names because we're live streaming. No, um, <laughs> man, I love them to death, but they are so busybody, they never actually do the work. We don't want to be busybodies, right? We want to put in the work. Why? Because it's a joy to work. All right, he says this, And now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Just because you're fast at stacking chairs doesn't mean that you get to judge others with that. I guess I kind of did. Sorry, guys, if I judged you all over there. All right? Um, but, man, are we willing to work as if we're working for the Lord? I don't know about what is your work experience like. What is your history that brought you to the job that you're in, right? I, I get the opportunity and the blessing to be a pastor. But if you were look at my work history, that is not the work history path of a pastor, right? I started out as a lifeguard. Anybody lifeguard back in the day, right? 14, 15 years old, right? Um, and then, I, then I, I got promoted to being the one that cleaned the pool in the morning, all right? So that means I got to go clean the pool. How many times I could tell you that I had to pull out dead animals from the pool in the morning, was terrible, all right? Rats, deer that just fell in there, right? And then here I am, I got to figure a way to get them out, right? So then I, I, I stepped out of LifeGuard into Walmart. Awesome, right? I was, I was the fastest checker. Right? I went to the pet department until I lost like three birds and then I got put in the furniture department because they don't fly out the front door like these other things. So then I'm in the bikes and furniture building, right? So that was how I worked my way uh, through college when I was playing football there. So then I went to auxiliary services. I got to work on Texas State campus, taking out all the coin from the vending machines and the washers and dryers. Y'all remember those? You stack like six coins in, there. right and then I was the one who took him out of there right and so that was my job and then I got to start teaching and coaching and youth ministry and pastoring man what a journey so whether I was climbing the pool wrestling roadkill I guess it wouldn't be roadkill it would be pool kill right whether it, whether it was that or teaching or preaching was I willing to work was I enjoying the fact that I'm going to work as if I'm working not for myself but I'm working for the Lord. Because listen, um, we were created to work. Do you remember in the garden, Genesis 2, verse 15, right? Remember back in that time, the man was taken and put in the garden to work it and to keep it, that it should be a joy for us to work. Is it a joy for you to work? Is it a joy for you to be an example at your work? This is what Colossians 3 encourages us. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That when we work as if we're working for the Lord, we're not going to get a reward here all the time. That our reward is in heaven. Because we are putting the Lord on display to the people that are around us. God wants us to be fruitful in our work. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. He doesn't want us to be idle. Now, if we're honest, now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand because that's too much work, right? Um, But if if you struggle with laziness, right, I want this to be an encouragement to you. Like, we've been created by God to work. And, And there's no place that we're more prone to idleness than in our spiritual walk. We have a tendency in our walk with Christ to make that the last priority of our day instead of the first priority of our day. You know, at work, we have some, a boss checking up on us. We have someone that's checking whether we get there on time or not. Right? We have someone who's making sure that our emails are being answered in a timely fashion. But with the Lord, we sometimes don't feel that. And so we sometimes let this be our last priority instead of our first priority. It's amazing what will happen when we begin to start our day with the Lord and how he can make us more productive through our work because we're honoring him. Let's not be idle in our work. In, in this parable... The owner of the vineyard does not look kindly on the idol. Now listen, their reward doesn't change. This isn't about you working out your salvation to get something greater out of it. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling so we can know Christ. But we need to be more more faithful in the way that we work as if we're working for the Lord. So as we go back to the story, he says, why do you stand here idle all day? And then verse 7 says, and they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so we have those that came at 6 a.m., those at 9 a.m., those at noon, those at 3, those now at 5, getting off at 6, all in the vineyard working. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Woo, Okay. So those who came at 5 p.m., they're in line first. Those that have been working all day have to get paid last. Do you have the picture? Right? Maybe you're front of the line. Maybe you're in the back of the line, right? So you're, you're getting, here, come, here they come up to the foreman to get paid. And when those hired at the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Hmm. When those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Hmm. All right. Picture yourself. You're in the back of this line. You started work at 6 a.m. They started work at 5 p.m. They worked an hour. You worked 12 hours. What are you thinking as you keep walking up in that line? Dude, they got a denarius. Dude, they got a denarius. It's going to be awesome. We're so excited. Right? And they're getting, they're getting, all of a sudden, their expectations are rising. And when you get to the front, they get what they were promised. And listen, they, did they get what they were promised? Yeah. Did they get what they expected? No. And how many times do we do this with God? That he gives us a promise, but we expect something different from it. Let me give you a perfect example. All right, look at Romans 8.28. Famous verse, we all know this as being a promise from God that for those of us who love him, he works all things for our good, right? Think about this, look at that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose, right? Beautiful. You know what we hear when we when we read this? That we're only gonna get good things if we love God. Is that what it promises? Is that the promise? Is that what we're expecting? Now he says, all things will work together for good. The good, the bad, the trials. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because the test in your faith develops perseverance, which must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If you want to be mature in Christ, it's the trials that make you mature in Christ. It's the hard things that make you stronger. Doing the same reps of a one-pound weight aren't going to make you stronger after a while. It's the hard things to get there. Sometimes we want the verse to say something different or we want it to be something else. Now, I don't know about you. This has not been my life experience. When I came to the Lord, it has been an amazing journey, but it's it's been hard. There's been trials. There's been trauma. There's been difficult things in there. But through all of it, God is good. Through all of it, he's working things together so that I can still praise him and give him glory for what he's doing in my life. Here's another one. Think about Philippians 4.19, right? Talks about how God is going to provide all of our needs for us according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amazing promise of God, isn't it? That God is going to provide every need of yours according to his riches. You know what we hear? God's going to make us rich. God wants us to be rich. I'm never going to be in need again. Is that what it says? That when I pray for that red Ferrari, boom, it's there. That God is some kind of vending machine, that C4 retirement taken care of. Woo! Is that how it works? Or is he saying, when I'm in need, when I'm desperate, God will provide. You know how he provides for us? Sometimes through one another in the body of Christ. Sometimes in just miraculous ways, all of a sudden God just shows up in a crazy way. I remember getting seven hundred dollars in Snickerdoodles in my mailbox one time. Just walked to the mailbox and there's like seven hundred bucks and Snickerdoodles. I, I think someone put it there. I hope I didn't steal somebody seven hundred dollars in Snickerdoodles, right? But I but. It turned out that we had just, our, our washer had just broken. We weren't sure how we were going to provide it. Someone had heard about it, and someone blessed us in that way. That's God providing when we're in need, right? Sometimes we have to be careful. We make expectations of God that are not promised to us from his word. That's why it's so important for us to be grounded in the word. Here they are. They got what they were promised, and they begin to grumble, right? Look what it says next in verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, These last worked only an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Oh, did you catch it? You made them equal to us. They don't deserve to be equal to us. They only worked an hour. I've been out here all day long, 12 hours through the heat. They don't deserve to get the same thing I get. Did you see it? This comparison comes in, standing in the back of the line, walking up, comparing, ooh, if they got that much, I deserve this much more. This comparison mindset we have to be careful of. Now, I know, comparison is a thief of joy. You've heard that before, right? And it sounds like it should be a Bible verse, even though it's like a Teddy Roosevelt quote, Um, but it sounds cool. Um, But the idea is that this comparison, what it does is it sets up a scenario for us where we elevate our self worth. When we start comparing, we start elevating ourselves, and when we do that, we begin to look down at others. Well, look, I worked 12 hours. I'm way better than those people up there. Are they? Because they were there early in the morning compared to later in the day? See, how do we view others? Do we view we are better than them and we look down on them? Or even in the comparison, do we make ourselves take our worth and plummet it to the depths? See, so comparison will rob you of contentment. It will rob you of these amazing gifts that we have and who God has made you to be. And here's one of the reasons why. When we do comparison, we typically compare ourselves to an illusion, right? I might look at someone like, like Jude and go, man, Jude has it all together. Man, he has it all together, an amazing family, all these incredible gifts, a great job. And I can never be like Jude, right? I don't know Jude's life. I don't know what Jude's going through. I don't know all the struggles and the hard things that he's going through in his life. But I tend to compare my worst day to his best day and make myself feel worse about it. See, we have to be careful because so often the projected and the reality, they don't match. Like, let me give you an example. So last week we had a chance to do two baptisms, right? Beautiful, right? We got a chance to baptize Abigail last week, which is beautiful and amazing. Then Callie got baptized. Um, baptism doesn't just happen, right? It's hard work. In fact, you learn church doesn't just happen, does it? It's hard work. It takes someone like Dustin to fix the sound when it stops working, right? And the band doesn't just get up here on Sunday and go, hey, guys, what do y'all want to play today? Yeah, let's try this. Why not? Honey in the Rock. All right, let's do it, right? It takes practice and hard work, right? Here, here's an example of baptism gone wrong for us um, if you notice up here in the corner, right, that's Sam. He's our awesome um, facilities coordinator. He's going to get this set up for us. Good job, Sam. This is, we would like to do it like a, oh, no, the, the defeated look right there. Right? That's a, just to lay there for a second to go, what did I just do? And I hope it's not on the security camera. But it is, all right? Um, but it is. We're able to find it, right? Um, man, that's the reality. For example, man, you might think, man, your pastors, they're, they're so athletic and fun. We had pickleball out here the other day. I should have got you the video. Every one of our pastors fell on his face trying to play pickleball the other day, right? Just tumbled. Paul did a, like, parkour thing. It was awesome, right? Man, we all fall short. Church doesn't just happen. It's something that it takes work. It's something that takes dedication in those different things as well, right? Um, man, we got to be careful, not to compare ourselves to others. Because again, comparison is the enemy of contentment. Are you content? Are you at peace? Because it talks about how contentment with godliness is of great gain. That's what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. That when you're content and you have godliness, that you have great gain. Man, do we have that peace in our hearts. You see, the guys in the back of the line... They weren't excited about the generosity of the master, were they? They weren't excited about the blessing that those who only worked an hour got. Instead, they felt slighted. But look at the master's answer to them. But he replied to one of them, friend, which I love the way he calls him friend. There's not judgment here. He's just like, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? In other words, did you not agree for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Is God not allowed to bless those around us as he sees fit? Even though we from the outside look and go, maybe they don't deserve that. Or hey, on the outside, we're judging other people. No. Are we willing to celebrate the blessings of God to others? If you want to truly be a witness for Jesus Christ, celebrate when other people are successful. Celebrate when they do well. Make the most of them, even if it means making less of you. Wow, that sounds like that should be a Bible verse. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Celebrate what God is doing in people's lives, even if it isn't a blessing to you. That's what it truly means to be a follower and a believer in Christ. Because he says, again, am I not allowed to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, this word begrudge is a very interesting word. So this word begrudge is actually give an evil eye for my generosity. Anybody had the evil eye before? Have you ever gotten it? Right? You did that wrong thing and the mama looks over and gives you the, like, look, right? So this evil eye, right, it's this idea of jealousy, right? Or it's this idea of, like, you're looking at someone for doing something wrong. There's two examples, actually, in the Old Testament about it. I think we sometimes do this without even realizing. Look what it says back in Deuteronomy 15. These are two examples of this evil eye coming to people. Verse 9 says, Take care lest, you be, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cries to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. You see, at this time, every seven years, your debts would be forgiven. Huh? Anybody? Every seven years, like your debts, you get to start over. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right? So here's the, here's the scenario. The seven years are almost up. The year's coming up that the year of forgiveness is coming up. And this brother looks at his friend who's in need and goes, you know what? If I give him this money, I'm not going to get it back. Mm, no not going to give it to him, right? That's the scenario. Is it really giving if you're going to get it back? Is it really a heart for another person if you're just expecting it in return? And that's what he's kind of pointing out. You're looking at him begrudgingly because you're realizing that if you give it to him, it's not going to be returned. That debt is going to be wiped away. This reminds me of that unforgiving servant whose huge debt was wiped away, but he wouldn't forgive his brother. We don't want to be like that. We're going to be full of forgiveness for one another. Another example comes from Saul. Um, do you remember after this guy named David and this little fight with a guy named Goliath, right? And so they're returning from this fight, and it says this in verse six. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and musical instruments. It's a party. There has been a victory. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very happy that they were celebrating David's victory. Oh, wait, no, sorry, wrong translation. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David two, ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David. From that day on, from that day on, he began to throw spears at him as he played the harp to comfort him. From that day on, he began to try to hunt him down in the wilderness to keep him from being king. Even though David was his son's best friend, even though David had delivered an amazing victory on behalf of the Lord, Saul couldn't keep his pride in check. And Instead of celebrating an amazing victory, he let anger and jealousy and envy Get in the way. So we can't be idle. We don't want comparison to rob us of this contentment because it's going to turn into jealousy, which then begins to destroy relationships that are all around us. What a lesson from this passage. And then he says this, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So what does this mean for us? I think it says it very well down in Uh, verse 26 of Matthew. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Are you willing to be the servant of the Lord this week? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it encourages us to live according to your ways and according to your word. Lord, I pray that if we are the people in the back of the line Lord, that I've been serving you and working for you all these years, that we will celebrate your blessings on, on new believers and new Christians, Lord. That we will not look at one another with an evil eye, but, Lord, we will look to bless. We'll look to live at peace and to live with contentment, Lord, because with it there is great gain. So, Lord, I thank you for being our provider and, and being our Lord and being our Savior and walking to Jerusalem, Lord, to die for us. Lord, help us to go into a world and to serve in the same way. We pray all this in your name. Amen. And I want to leave you with this last verse, verse 28, which says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This week, go out and serve others more than you serve yourself, right? You guys are dismissed. We love you.